class is in session. Tap into the psychology of engagement and more. This is where we talk about life, learning, and everything in between. This is the Lifelong Podcast, a show for those of you who love to ask why. Because we're marketers. Because we're coaches. Because we're change makers. Each week, we dive into the big questions and explore the psychology of engagement with strategies, tactics, and special guests along the way. Now, here's your guide, the visibility hacking queen herself, Coach Molly. Hey, visibility hackers, and welcome back to this episode of the Lifelong Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Molly from visibilityhacking.com, and welcome to the Lifelong Podcast 2021 which is where we're diving into the psychology of engagement. Last week, I shared with you a little bit of the roadmap and the inspiration for this season, but now it's time to actually dive into class. So when I talk to marketers and I want, when I talk to anyone about psychology and I ask them to name a psychological experiment that changed everything, everyone seems to answer with the same, the same answer, which shows me two things. One, this person and this experiment that I'm going to explain to you today, very important. Number two, it's where we definitely should start because we need we, we need to talk, guys. We, there is so much that is possible with our brains. Um, so many people are taking their psychological studies in so many different directions. So let's get into it, shall we? So at the very, very base level understanding, you need to know one thing. Psychology can be studied in two different ways. It can be studied as an art and it can be studied as a science. We're going to do the two of them together. And I promise you, I will not um, bombard you with too much of the science jargon. I'm going to explain the science behind why the artistic stuff makes sense. That's what we're going for here. So the science of it has to do with how signals are sent around by different neurons in our brain and how certain chemicals and certain hormones will change the way that we think of things and, and the way that we process information. Okay, so you're going to hear me throughout this season bringing up ideas about how our neurons interact with each other and how signals are passed between the hemispheres of our brain. If at any point during this podcast episode, either in video format, um, if you have questions, post them down in the comments on our YouTube page. If you have questions and you're listening on the podcast version um, or anywhere else, then come on over and join us in the Visibility Hackers Facebook group. Uh, that's where we engage. That's where our community hangs out. Come on, join us. It's absolutely free and we'd love to have you there. So now that we've gotten all of that besides out of the way, let's dive in to Ivan Pavlov and his dogs. <laughs> so when it comes to talking about psychology in general, the name Pavlov should ring a bell. See what I did there? <laughs> So Pavlov talked about a theory that's known as classical conditioning. And in order to understand this, let's talk about some, uh, some base words, some terms that you need to understand. So the first term is a stimulus. 
A stimulus is something that exists in our surroundings um, or that's present. It's um, a noise. It could be a sensation. It could be a temperature. It's, it's a thing that's happening around us. The other term that you need to understand is response. So a response is a reaction to a stimulus. So if you get poked, well, your reaction is to kind of jump up and wonder who poked you, or maybe it's to poke them back. A response could also be uh, when you smell a really good steak, you might start to drool, or at least the dogs in Pavlov's study sure did. So here's Pavlov's experiment in a nutshell. What he did was he presented a piece of meat to a dog and he saw that the dog was drooling. Now let's rewind a little bit. Why was he around dogs in the first place? Well, Mr. Pavlov was a uh, gastroenterologist, a, a stomach doctor uh, for these dogs. And so it was part of, his, part of his studies to feed the dogs. But he was noticing that there was so much more happening. He wanted to investigate. So he changed up the way that he would share the meat with the dogs. So at first, he puts the meat in front of the dog. That would be your stimulus. And then the dog's response was that he would drool. So we have stimulus and we have response. Now let's complicate that a little bit more. We can talk about an unconditioned stimulus and an unconditioned response. That's what's happening with the dog and the steak. The dog isn't taught that he needs to drool. It's just a natural reaction to what's happening. So that would be our unconditioned uh, stimulus. It's just a steak. We're not trying to get anything out of this steak. It's just a steak. And the drooling. We're not teaching the dog to drool. He's just drooling on his own. So now we, we see that there's a connection somehow between the meat and the drool. So how can we play with that? How can we, how can we tease that out, Pavlov thought. So now what he's doing, what he starts to do is he starts to show the meat and ring a bell at the same time. And he does this over and over and over again. The bell ringing doesn't change the dog drooling. The dog continues to drool. Except now the dog begins to associate the sound of the bell with the meat. This is, and at first the bell, no response. So that's what we would call a neutral response. There's a stimulus over there. We have no reaction to it. A neutral response. A neutral stimulus, a neutral response. So then we're trying to complicate it, right? So Pavlov begins to ring the same, the bell at the same time that he's feeding the meat. And now the dog is beginning to associate the sound of the bell with the smell of the meat. And so now we're beginning to go through a phase of what's known as acquisition, where that dog is now learning that those two stimuli actually go together, that the bell ringing and the meat are the same thing. That's our new conditioned stimulus. So we find that the unconditioned stimulus and the conditioned stimulus begin to come together in this acquisition phase. And the likelihood of creating what we're hoping for, fingers crossed, which is a conditioned response, will actually be strengthened in this. So eventually Pavlov took the meat away entirely, leaving just the bell ringing. And what was really fascinating was that the dog continued to salivate. We had conditioned that response. The bell alone created the dog's um, need to salivate. Fascinating, right? So we now know that if 
we take an unconditioned response and an unconditioned stimulus and we add in an extra layer of stimulus, we can modify that behavior. We can change that conditioned response. That's really interesting. And all it takes is just associating the right things together, the right stimulus and the right response together. Simple. So now what happens if the dog continues to, to salivate for the bell, but then all of a sudden he stops? Well, that's what we would call extinction. So extin extinction is when the conditioned response stops because the conditioned stimulus hasn't presented in a while. So the dog realizes you haven't given me the meat in a while. I'm going to stop salivating. I'm no longer going to associate these two things together. And that's not a conscious thought necessarily. It can be just, I'm no longer getting, like my, my biological needs are no longer being met. You're not giving me meat. You're just ringing a bell. I'm still hungry, right? So it could be a natural response. But... I'm always here with good news, right? So there's good news. <laughs> what happens is when the dog stops salivating 30 times in a row, but on the 31st time, the salivation response comes back. Well, that is known as spontaneous recovery. So we can have, we have the acquisition period where those two stimuli are coming together and we're creating a new thought process. We have extinction when we have a conditioned response that disappears because we're no longer giving them the appropriate stimuli. And then we also have the idea of spontaneous recovery, where as long as you are persistent, that response may come back. So now you're probably looking at me going, okay, Professor Molly, it's, it's psychology class, but what does this have to do with engagement? What does this have to do with marketing? What does this have to do with building deeper communities? Well, we need, <laughs> we need to recondition our people's responses to the notifications that they are being bombarded with. I spend a ton of time nowadays on the new audio chat app called Clubhouse. And in here, we're getting all these notifications, all these notifications. Um, but we need to be able to recondition that response. We need, instead of, to f we, instead of our community members feeling bombarded by notifications where all they want to do is find where the mute button is, we need to change that. We need to recondition them so we get that big dopamine hit. We get ex our people get excited when they get those notifications. We have to, we, we need to have a different conditioned response when our brand comes to mind, when it shows up in their feed. And when they're confronted with problems that our brand will solve, we want them to be wired to know that our brand is not only the solution, it's the only solution. So here's an example. We have a unconditioned stimulus, which would be an opportunity for engagement in a Facebook group. And then we have an unconditioned response, which would be, let's say, what, what happens a lot on social media. We'll get backlash, we'll get harsh criticism, we'll get trolls, and that leads to feeling bad, right? So when you post an opportunity in your group or on your page or in your feed or whatnot, and you ask your people to engage with you, you have to understand that for the majority of people, they've had a negative response or a negative experience responding on a social platform, for example. So they may be conditioned to feel that, that 
that they don't feel good responding. So they're just not going to. They, they might like it, but they may not engage as deeply in the conversation or a comment as we really want them to, right? So that would mean that we'd need to... Um, so, so what would happen if we had that as our unconditioned stimulus and our unconditioned response? We then need to look at what the conditioned stimulus and the conditioned response could be. So we could move that to being um, communicating in groups, or I guess if we're looking at the negative, um, our unconditioned stimulus, what's going through the mind of our people is that communicating in groups is associated with negative comments. And therefore, the conditioned response is, feelings of disconnection and aversion to your community. And if this builds up and we don't actually break that cycle, our people will leave or our people may ghost us. They may be there in numbers, but they're not there engaging. They're not building the community. They're not engaging in that community. So how do we change that? So let's go back to the unconditioned stimulus. So let's look at that opportunity for Facebook engagement, right? You've posted a really great post and you want your people to start talking to each other, not just talking to you, talking to each other. So the unconditioned response then, if you create an environment where the response to that comment is now praise and help, engagement, that leads us to feeling good. That leads your, your community members to feeling good. So in psychologically speaking, their conditioned stimulus then be, says that the group is a productive space for them. That is a place that will benefit them. Engaging with this in this location with these people is going to be of benefit to them. And so their conditions response is a regular engagement. And on top of that, it's a mental buy-in to your movement and to the change that you're bringing into the world. That's exciting, I think. When it comes to working one-on-one -on -one or in group settings, say you're a coach, you want to keep Pavlov in mind because if learning is the process of acquiring through experience new and enduring informational behaviors, then the adaptation and survival at its most basic level are rooted in one's ability to adapt one's behavior. So as coaches and mentors, we need to keep the idea of conditioning in mind so that you will better, you will have better, longer lasting results for your people. We need to be able to actually in some way psychologically flip the switch for our people. And that requires an understanding of not only classical conditioning, which we've talked about in this episode, but in operant conditioning, in engagement practices, in all of the stuff that we are going to dive in to in further episodes of the 2021 version of the Lifelong Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for joining me for this psychological psychology for marketers lesson, I guess. <laughs> I'm Coach Molly from visibilityhacking.com and I am so glad you joined me for this episode. I will see you again very, very soon. And until then, make sure that you like, you subscribe, you send this off to any of your friends who you think would benefit from this information. The more people we have listening to this podcast, the easier it will be for us to change the world as a collective. So go marketers. Yeah. <laughs> I will see you in our next episode. Until then, remember, I love you. Be excellent to each other.